0: Hey everyone, welcome to Wire Talks, the Wire podcast where we discuss all things crypto. So whether you're a veteran or crypto noob, we're all learning together. This is your host, Thomas Correa. Today we have a really special internal podcast for our acclaimed audience. I am joined today by Mike Dunworth, CEO of Wire. Mike, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. I'm also joined by Jack Gia, head of partnerships at Wire. Jack, thanks for hopping on. Awesome. Hey guys. Hello, hello. Indeed. So why don't we get started? The reason why we're doing this podcast is we're in a really unique market position, right? We we facilitate this bridge from the traditional payments ecosystem to the Wild West that is crypto. And the audience generally knows a lot about crypto. I think if you you know want to educate yourselves, uh, there's a lot of good resources online, uh, perhaps some of these Podcasts, podcasts that people have done. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> some of these podcasts that people have done. I've also <laughs> ludicated some of your questions, but we, we have a lot of great insight into the payments industry, the traditional payments industry that we just don't share enough. I feel like in the, with the world, I can speak personally to this because I was hired uh, more purely on the crypto side. And I didn't know like the first thing about payments when I joined the, the company uh, I was a traditional finance guy, and I knew about banking and and all all the stuff that's happening in the traditional finance world. But payments is just a unique beast on its own. And just you know, rubbing shoulders with Mike and Jack every day, I've I've picked up quite a bit. But I know that there's a lot left to be learned. Uh, as, a, as I was doing uh, my research, it was very clear that, that you know, I was barely even like 50% there. So uh, why don't we get started? You guys have been in payments for, for a really long time. We started out, of course, in, as a Bitcoin wallet, and then we went into uh, cross-border payments, and now we have an API that facilitates Fiat to Crypto. Over the past five years since Wire has been incepted, what are the key trends that you've seen unfold in the payments industry?
2: Oof. I mean, obviously, crypto. Crypto's is trying to get its nose in. Now it's doing a pretty good job. But I'd say challenger banks, more in Europe and like just not America, but TransferWise, Revolut, Square Cash, who else? Monzo in 26. That's become a thing and a pretty sort of like par for the course.
1: Yeah, no, I was uh, looking up TransferWise wise while researching for this podcast, and, and I completely forgot that they were only founded in 2011. And obviously, they have really revolutionized the cross-border payment world. Right? I mean, they took a playbook from a, a, a play from, you know, kind of Western Union's playbook right? as far as managing balances locally in every uh, country and then kind of netting against themselves when there are bi-directional, you know, KRW to USD, USD to KRW, and then just using local ACH rails for payout. But, I mean, that's become so prevalent now that, you know, so many different other kind of players, like Remitly, uh, you know, Instagram, or any kind of like, uh, you know, cross-border payments kind of dashboards. Like, it's
2: par for the core. If you're not doing that, you're just going to get eaten up. Is that the only
0: possible business model in the remit space?
2: Well, put it this way. So, and... Shoutouts to Revolut who just uh, gave me the app the other day. Um, <laughs> I've been on the waiting list since like 2001. But yeah, no, they're opening up in America, but so Revolut's biggest revenue stream actually came from selling their card. If you think about it, that's how hyper aggressive and hyper commoditized these markets get. So, to put in perspective, Jack was talking about the process of like netting off balances in two jurisdictions or two geographies. Because there's no point if I've got to send 100 grand from Australia to the US and I know that I'm sending $85,000 from the US to Australia, I mean, there's enough data to support that, okay, we won't move any money and we'll just net off the difference. OFX, which is like a big sort of, not a bank, but not as youthful as a transfer wise, they're publicly traded. And I think the last numbers that they posted was 68 or 70% of every single transaction is netted off. Mm. So it means there's 30% of actual dollars that get requested to be moved, get moved.
0: And is that a big revenue driver
2: for uh, these companies? I wouldn't say revenue driver, I'd say cost reducer, uh-huh. if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we talk about Revolut or TransferWise or even West Union, but it really actually goes back to chips, right? Because uh, the, the clearinghouse interbank uh, payment system basically uses the same kind of netting mechanism across different banks to do exactly the same thing. Mm. And that's probably the original playbook, if you will, for for kind of netting uh, between interbanks to achieve time efficiency.
2: Yeah, like everyone talks about Swift, right? If you just type in Ripple and say Ripple value prop and it's going to be disrupting Swift cross-border payments. (laughs) Look, maybe they will, maybe they won't. But the reality is Swift is like, I mean, 1976 or something is when it was invented. And basically, it's like Morse code for payments where they're just keeping tabs on each other and who owes each other what because someone's got a connection to a bank in China and it's a small bank in Eastern Europe and they go Eastern Europe to a main bank in Europe, main bank in Europe to their relationship in Hong Kong. And so, it's all stitched together.
0: It's a a similar concept to
2: uh, the Lightning Network. Yep. Yep just as big <laughs> no 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 it's uh it it is exactly that it's yeah. a it's a post trade settlement based thing like with lightning when you open a channel you can't just say hey make a payment you've got to have inbound capacity you've got to have liquidity in your own channel i mean it's the best it's the best structure you can get without any sort of reputation or recourse associated with transactions
0: How much of these uh, trends that you're noticing, especially with challenger banks and companies like TransferWise, how much of that was driven by perhaps a changing regulatory landscape?
2: Oh, all of it. Like, so in the EU, basically, okay, I'm from Australia. It's when I came here, everyone was like, literally Yanni wrote the first check to like the first time I'd ever seen a check get written was Yanni paying like one of the team members in twenty thirteen. I was just like, well, it was, sorry, it was Jack. It was like two days after we started the company. And I was like, What the fuck is that? Like, why would you use a check? And everyone over here, because the banking system is so fucked, it's like oh pardon my language. We do we swear on you? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> fuck that. Um, no, 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 I'm joking. But the banking system's so archaic. That's the only reason why people are like oh, Venmo's amazing and PayPal was huge. Yeah, it was huge because it was, everything else was trash. Like in 2013, I came from like Australia with ComBank and that has like connect your Facebook friends and pay people over Facebook and all that natively baked into NetBank. So when you look at why the challenger banks are happening, the regulatory landscape said, yo, you can't keep customers at your bank because it's too difficult to leave theoretically right that's the tldr Mm -hmm. you've got to make it fair play to come and go and so they tried to standardize the apis that are makes everyone talk the same language essentially uh, between banks so i can come and go as i please i'm not bound to one provider and that's just been essentially the the writing on the wall with a really like regulatory clarity in the eu is very i mean it's there it's when you have Regulatory clarity—it's pretty much the deadliest weapon you can have in fintech as an entrepreneur, because you know whether you're going guns blazing or you're finding something else to do. And so the EU put that stamp down, and then now it's death by a thousand paper cuts to all the banks. Are you talking about PSD
0: two, the revised directive? I'm reading it off my notes. The revised directive on payment services, uh, obviously. I've heard about this before, but I thought this was fairly a a recent development, right?
2: That's new, but the Open Banking Initiative, which Mm -hmm. is sort of like, hey, let's make everyone speak the same language from a plumbing perspective with APIs. Just like all the social networks of sort of all, they're all running on like OAuth 2 standards or whatever to connect between one another.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think PSD has been around for a while and PSD 2 just got implemented on September 14th. So, all merchants in Europe now have to follow those uh, SCA standards.
2: Yeah. I think there might have been a bit of a Brexit thing on it where that got kicked down the road a bit. You're right. But and, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's September. And,
0: and SEA stands for?
1: Uh, what is this? Secure Super customer.
2: cool awesomeness. <laughs> <laughs> Strong customer authentication.
1: Right. right. Strong customer authentication. Yeah. Which, uh, should we define that or something? Yeah. Well, why
0: is that standard so important? Um, What is it, Jack?
1: Well, yeah, (laughs) it's strong customer authentication, right? (laughs) Uh, I think they describe it as basically a way for um, a a payment standard by which every merchant and payment processor and the user all have the benefit of uh, this kind of secure payment protocol whereby, um, you know, the user is authenticated by... Who they are, uh, what they know, and like what they have, or something like that. Yeah.
2: So it's basically like three factor authentication. And it's imposed because all these banks are just leeching. Like anyone that's listening right now knows that taking credit cards is not really a thing in crypto because chargebacks are a thing. And chargebacks are a thing. Like the number one cost to any company is always, I mean, look, you go sign up at any of these companies. Gemini doesn't give a shit what your selfie looks like. Neither does Brian from Coinbase. Neither does anybody anywhere. The only shit they care about is are you going to rip them off or not? And because it's so heavily skewed between the merchant being at fault, like that's the default setting is the merchant is wrong. The customer is always right. That sort of has to change. Otherwise, businesses can't compete. Like to compete... Fraud is a massive barrier to entry. That's why a lot of people don't go to the US market. Regulatory is one thing. So having SCA, it does what's called a liability shift. So out of the box, there is the bank that gave their user, end customer, the card, and that card is being spent at a merchant. So let's say Bank of America gave Tommy a card and Tommy goes to put it online at an exchange and then you go, oh, fuck, I traded that so badly. I've got nothing left. Ah, fuck it. I'm going to call the bank and say it wasn't me. This is based on a true story. This is me last week <laughs> <laughs> and the week before. Um, but that can't happen now. The reason why that happens is because everyone goes, okay, the customer's always right. The EU is basically saying, all right, if you guys want to be so lax on how you're giving out cards and not take any accountability go fuck yourselves. You're going to have to do strong customer authentication and the liability shift, FYI, it's on you as the bank. So, every time the bank gives out a card now, they're not like, hey, like, you know, frisbeeing them around. They're like, nah, this dude looks super sketchy. Fuck that. We're not going to give him a card. So, they're going to be a lot more back because now finally they're going to be accountable, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think that's one side of it as far as kind of like the payment standard between the issuing bank and the acquiring bank Mm. to kind of uh, shift liability from merchant to uh, issuing bank. But I think the other side is just kind of standardizing payments as the internet age comes of age, right? Um, There's a lot of different browsers now there. Yeah. Everyone is shopping online, right? Card not present. So there are like legitimate scammers as opposed to uh, friendly fraud. Um, kind of in the case where you traded badly and uh, charge back, but yeah, or you,
2: or Tommy. <laughs> no, say Jack. Yeah. <laughs> Who's that person you ripped off? No, Jackie.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and, I mean th- this kind of touches on the whole W three C Worldwide Consortium, Wide Web Consortium, and kind of their meetings with all the different browsers out there and standardizing payments online too. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, so it's not just like regulators and trying to kind of break up the banks in this antitrust type of manner mm. to create open banking. But it's also You're uh, talking about the payment request
2: API? That, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: That is that is that more Google Pay than Apple Pay? I think Apple Pay has their own version of it or something.
2: They adapted their own version of it. Mm. But essentially, you know, when you put HTML tags and meta tags and shit like that into a website, all the other websites know how to interpret it because it's playing to a standard just like in crypto you've got the erc20 standard you know you've got the same functions or methods whatever it is that's what the payment request api and so google or a lot of the software companies so team from facebook uh, google apple they're like look we all compete but for fuck's sake can we just get on the same page because everyone's gonna win and so now if i've got a device-based you know, payment method like my card that's saved on file, I can spend it on a Chrome browser automatically because they're already speaking the same standards. So.
0: Then we have the standard XRP.
2: Oh, yeah, my bags are so heavy. <laughs> I'm really excited for their lawsuit after the block one uh, conversation <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. What do you reckon is going to happen to them?
0: Oh, I, mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> um I think they probably have some pretty awesome lawyers behind them. So just
2: kick the can down the road until yeah, yeah. probably
0: just a 20, $25 five million dollar settlement.
2: Just a lazy million.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, Heck, what a deal! So uh, we went over some really awesome trends uh, with challenger banks, and you know how that evolved due to open banking standards and and just different standards that have uh, have populated due to regulatory reasons in in Europe. Why are some of these Regulatory changes not happening in the US as they are happening in
1: Europe? Um, they are. They're just happening a little bit slower uh, in terms of ACH in the US and uh, real time settlement schemes. I think it's in 2024 that they're expected to be implemented. Uh, there's, no,
2: there's no reason. Why would they do it if they don't have to? Like the, the US banking market, you can't even send money to friends, let alone do anything of value. Like Plaid's whole business operates on top of the incompetence of all these systems not talking together. And, and PLAT, like, that Plat is exceptional at what they do. But, you know, we were, like, as a company, I mean, we talked about in our growth stand-ups and stuff where we we're, like, how does ACH function and how does that fit into the picture with future payment methods? And it's, like, dude, ACH is the slowest wolf in the pack right now. China, instant payments, local branches – Argentina, Brazil, EU, Australia, New Zealand, every man, South Korea, like everywhere is instant, but here. And now that's not to say that he is not a big market because it's arguably always going to be the biggest market, but they- do it because they can, really. There's nothing forcing.
0: What them. do they stand to gain from it? It's just more power to the big banks.
2: Yeah. Well, I think I th- I just think generally the system in like the ACH network and the banking system gets to hold on for that like a bit more longevity. Plus, when there's a dispute, they win like more times than not, they're going to they're the default winner, right? So nothing said, default winner. Then, if you start kicking and screaming, you got to pay $15 to your processor to fight it. And then you got to drain all your resources. So, like, I mean, they're sort of set up for success. And there's nothing real, like, that's a cash cow probably to them. So it's Mm -hmm. like, yeah. Keep the party going.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, but with that said, though, I think you know there are a lot of SROs uh, in the U.S. As far as um, in, in crypto, we talk about like self regulated organizations, right? So, you know, uh, Coinbase or Kraken, they just came through with this. What is it that that index for rating uh, token, whether it's a securities right. or not, right. right? So, you know, you have a lot of interbank networks that in the U.S. where they do work with each other to create these payment standards. So, for example, Zelle. Right. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's relatively. That's the new. point
0: I wanted to make. Also, uh, Zelle, Zelle is like, like you said, relatively new, uh, but it originated from just three banks that owned some sort of company and they had like a private payment ne- uh, network with each other. And then it evolved into, you know, I believe there's 38 plus banks that are part of that uh, network. And we do allow peer to peer payments with Zelle. I think it just doesn't have the same kind of commercial adoption or retail adoption mm. as as Venmo.
2: Yeah. And the guy, the guy that did that, I think what happened, he started, he was formerly like some, you know, a big swinger at, um, <laughs> Sorry, <is that> <laughs> anyway, he was a really high up, like a big shot at like Wells Fargo or something, started this company, knowing everyone really well, tied a couple of banks together and you've already got like 75, 80% coverage. And I think now three or four years later, to be honest, it's an exceptional product. I mean, it's not mind blowing, but it works and it's just. Emailing phone number, money from my bank, the end. And I think he just got hired from Stella. He just went to Stella. I think it's Mike Kennedy. Yep. Oh, really? Same guy. Yep. He took your job, Incredible. Tommy.
0: <laughs> Fucker. <laughs> yeah. I thought I saw someone in the uh, waiting room at the <laughs> oh, interview. Oh, man.
1: Yeah. I missed out on that one. But, I mean, just, like, just a little side note. Obviously, the politics of Europe and the U- US are different, right? Even for like, you know, the Visa network and Bank of America uh, initially, the entire kind of interchange network was born from this kind of self-regulated uh, banks who created that Visa network, right? So, in the in the same way, you know, ACH is basically run. Uh, from top down through Federal Reserve, I believe the, the clearinghouse owned by Federal Reserve or something yeah, like that. I think so. Yeah,
0: they're effectively the middleman,
1: right? Yeah. 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 So, so if you look at a country like China, you know, the, the middleman makes things very efficient as to why they do have real time settlement schemes, right? If I send money from, bank, from uh, bank of China to China Construction Bank or China Merchant Bank, uh, the funds literally clear and settle in less than a minute, right? That's a top down kind of setup. Right. Whereas in the U.S., you know, for whatever reason, you know, the Federal Reserve hasn't pushed, um, you know, ACH to that brink yet where it is real time, even though we do have same day now. So you got the same day, but
2: at the end of the day, like <laughs> at the end of the day, same day, <laughs> shit joke, Mike, <laughs> like I'm easily amused. Um, like, OK, so say, Tommy, you're a business and you're taking ACH payments. Why? I mean, same day. Five days, it's all good. You still have a sixty-day window of risk, so that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize. They're like, "Oh, I did a bank transfer with ACH. Good, you're welcome." Because I just like that is meaning that you're getting underwritten for a sixty-day loan. So every time someone sends money, let's say to Coinbase, Crack, and wherever it is with ACH payments, that's effectively that company saying, "All right." we think you're good enough to not pull this money back you know after 2 months and the problem is it seems like it's easier with ACH but because credit card has su- credit cards have so many frequent you know card stolen thieves and you know, all that sort of stuff They've got a really good established process for dispute resolution. So it's like, oh, if I get fucked, I know exactly how to go through the, you know, through the line to claim something back. And ACH is like this nebulousy kind of thing. And when you're making, you're, like these companies, or our industry, generally speaking, you're trying to sell a dollar for a dollar and one cent effectively. Mm-hmm. And when you have to say, Right. Someone does, you do a million dollars in payments in a day. You're making 1% on that. That's 10 grand. Now, if that gets reversed over the next two months from bad underwriting, it crippled. Like, yeah. Gone. It's what a yeah. shit deal. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Tough industry. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were unpacking something earlier and I want to return to it. A key trend I think that uh, we should discuss a little bit more is WeChat pay and China's influence on payments, and specifically Mm. device-based payments. Uh, Jack, I think you probably know this better than most people here. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the incredible innovation that was WeChat Pay? Were they effectively first to device-based payments?
1: I'm not sure if they were first, but they were definitely first to popularize it, right? I mean, WeChat has become a super app. You can pay your rent, you can pay your car bills, your electricity bills, you can order an Uber uh, or, you know, equivalent of Uber there. It's your Facebook equivalent, uh, your social network. Um, you can send money to your friends. You can receive money. You can have merchant accounts. And, you know, I can either do a push payment by scanning, scanning your QR code as a merchant, or I can have a QR code on my phone and you as a merchant scan my phone to pull money from my uh, wallets, right? And I,
0: Anyone can be a merchant.
1: Uh, I mean, they have a process for underwriting merchants for sure, mm-hmm. um, but that process is as streamlined as Stripe Marketplace, I would say, right? And Stripe
2: Marketplace actually uses, incorporates WeChat Pay now.
1: Oh. Yeah. 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 You know, the, like WeChat has its own ecosystem. Well, sorry, I keep on getting into politics a little bit, but, and I am no communist by any standard. I've grew, like, you know, was sure, raised in America. No, no. I in San Francisco. Actually, I guess it's pretty liberal. But you know... Point went to be- Berkeley. <laughs> went to Berkeley. Yeah. Built the wall. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like point being that, you know, when WeChat kind of gained its viral effect early on in the early 20, 2010s, you know, the government kind of stepped in and kind of helped them to push them to that next level. And now it's literally being used by everyone and everywhere in China, right? Like if you go to China, you don't need cash. You just need to top up your WeChat wallets. Right, and it's actually fairly simple. You know, from a crypto standpoint, it's you know it's QR codes, right? So if I use Bitcoin to pay for my coffee, I'm probably going to scan some kind of QR code from my phone to this merchant. It's the same idea, right? Um, so from a payment standpoint, obviously it's you know a centralized system going through WeChat's servers and all that, uh, which makes it a little bit faster. Um, but you know, point being that from a payment system standpoint. They've really like done a really well job, like the change of habit. Yeah,
2: yeah, I mean, creating a habit even.
1: Right, yeah, I mean, they're getting into capital markets too. You can literally save money, like and earn three five percent on on your WeChat app, right? So,
2: dude, so so like Neil and Richard, who are at Why and they ran the China office. They came over here for the first time and they're standing there at a square terminal and Neil like pulls out his phone and he's just like waiting there with his phone. And they're like, do you have a card? And he's like, what the fuck? And in my head, I was like, what? Actually, yeah, what the fuck? Like that, it's a mobile first economy, whether you got two cents to your name or $2 billion to your name. Everyone's uh, all about it. Yeah. Incredible. We had a WeChat bot actually. Mm. We built one of those. That was fun. Mm.
0: I do want to dive a little bit deeper into contactless payments. Uh, we went over WeChat really briefly here, but let's talk about the growth potential here. Apple Pay came out in 2014 and the penetration wasn't so high, but over the years, penetration for contactless payments uh, via Apple Pay, Google Pay, Samsung Pay has been increasing. And I, I read some report yesterday that People are anticipating that their penetration in the U.S. Uh, will be north of eighty percent by twenty twenty. What do you think is the impact here? What are like the key takeaways for device based payments?
1: Hmm. I think it's still super early days in the U.S. In this past ten years, we really haven't seen too much growth of it. A lot of it has to do with uh, kind of those payment standards that we were talking about, so, right? And like payments has moved really fast in, in this past decade, but at the same time. Um, perhaps it hasn't shown at the, uh, user level just yet. Uh, but I do think it's about to go through like a Cambrian explosion.
2: Oh yeah. This is, I, I cannot shut up enough about this at work or like at wire. It doesn't feel like work. Um, <laughs> no. but like all the payment innovators, all of them, whether you are Revolut, whether you are Robinhood, all of that is cosmetic. There is no fundamental infrastructure change. It is is are going. Like, so you put together a bank, a challenger bank. A challenger bank is going to comprise of the best cross-border company, the best stock market brokerage service, the best insurance fund. And so you get these banks that can't move fast enough. So people start creating all these services to, you know, narrowed services to basically, you know, affect the banks. Now, that's not changing anything in tech. That's just like lipstick on a pig, essentially. But what all the, like Apple and all this stuff, what they've done is they've played it. Oh, man, these guys are just uh, from another planet. They're so clever. They've taken the long road to get all the hardware infrastructure set up, all the dependency from you and me. We've got cameras we've got televisions we've got phones we've got computers they've got all their chess pieces in place and all that is now giving them all the leverage to make it worthwhile using them so not just like oh novelty value that was really cool i used apple pay and it made a beep no like merchants will just like they did with bitcoin five percent discount ten percent discount if you can't charge back these payment methods people are going to be incentivized to use them a lot more, like... So Apple's got the
0: hardware in place, right? Yep. So we, we have phones, and there's biometric authentication on these phones. So you have a clear idea of who's behind the device. Yep. Uh, and then they're doing some work on the point of sale uh, side as well, so that these radio signals effectively that are shot off your phone are detected at point of sale. Uh, and then of course, they, you know, do a great job on the back end as well. What's the exact flow here and, and what's the technology and how's it different from what was there before?
2: So, I mean, from a tech standpoint, same,
1: uh, does
2: anyone know? <laughs> no, we all sort of look at each other. No, I mean, I think from like the actual technology standpoint, it's cryptography. It's just like signing a transaction with a couple of Bitcoin wallets amongst BitGo, Coinbase and, you know, a couple of custody providers where you can cryptographically be certain that that was signed by BitGo and Kraken has released the funds, it's a multi-party transaction. And all that is just standard cryptography that we use every day. What is interesting is essentially they have gone and said, right, we are going to make this really awesome for everyone. It's going to be the smoothest experience ever. And everyone's conversion rates are going to go through the roof. So, they go to the interchange network, which is Visa and MasterCard, and they go, yo, what's up? We want to play ball. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, well, these are our fees. They're like, no, no, no. Here's what's up. You're going to pay us 0.15% for every single transaction. Your merchants are going to go up by 25%, if not more. So, you're welcome for the discount. And- no chargebacks are ever going to occur because you're going to say that anyone using our services, which is SCA, so strong, back to that original point a couple of like a bit before, mm-hmm. strong customer authentication, you are you behind the device. Fingerprint, eyeballs, whatever it is, passcode, there's enough that it's very difficult for you to bullshit me that it's not you. So now they've got all the leverage where Visa and MasterCard are like, uh uh oh fuck yeah awesome that sounds great let's do it which they should but they don't have another move now in like in this chess game that's very long this is a trojan horse where google apple if you're a hardware provider samsung google apple amazon maybe facebook but i think they duffed it they not in a rude way i just think yeah yeah so, keeping on the hardware conversation. These hardware providers, they have their moat is they have the biometric authentication. So, Amazon and Alexa has your voice signature repeatedly day after day ordering food and whatever at home, fingerprints on devices, eyeballs, retina scans, whatever you want to call it. And so when they construct that together, those guys are now going to have so much leverage. All this money is going to get vacuumed into that ecosystem. And now we've seen the Apple card come out, which is all these incentives, which is like, hey, buy with the Apple card. You're going to get really good rates. Goldman Sachs thinks they're killing it because they're like, oh, this is awesome. We're getting Apple like on piggybacking. Yeah, enjoy it while it lasts because that money is going from Goldman Sachs spending and all the rebates are going into the circular economy of Apple. So, when you get a rebate, when it says, oh, 3% cash back – that's not 3% cash back to your Bank of America. It's 3% cash back to your device. Yeah, to your Apple Cash. Apple Cash card. And what slowly but surely every dollar that's spent, 3% is going to get you know, held in this monster of a system. And before you know it, in three to five years, Apple, Google, and all these big providers, uh, they're going to retain probably 15 or 17% of some sort of like spending levels of consumers, especially when- it's being incentivized to use Apple Pay because the merchant doesn't have chargebacks and shit.
0: Yeah. I think the, the hedging out of chargeback risk, that's the key innovation here. Yeah. Yeah. Talk a little bit about, uh, you know, fraudsters are always innovating as quickly as uh, the technology is coming into market, right? Mm-hmm. What are new attack vectors or- uh, that could be introduced <laughs> by Apple
2: Pay? What are fraudsters up to? Deep fakes. Yeah, legitimately. Like, I mean, uh, yeah, deep fakes, you can crack onto that one. I want to talk about this interesting one that a lot of exchanges now, like if your exchange is getting hacked now, because a lot of exchanges have people with accounts that are, you're able to deposit, but you're not able to withdraw. So, if everyone's sort of two-factor first in a mindset, so with crypto exchanges, what they've got is they've got, Botnets of like three to 5,000, you know, trading, actively trading bots. And they'll put like a really, really long position on a super liquid asset. And then they'll get these three to 5,000, like this big botnet to basically trade in uniform all the way up the mountain when the original position that's gone like 100x, leave it up to the wazoo, has just pumped some shitcoin through the stratosphere. And no money has left the exchange. So, they're, all they've done is just these huge pump schemes where even if you do have two-factor on your account, they don't mind. They're not there to take your bitcoins because they're going to make 100x of whatever you've got in your balance from these leave it up positions that they put on, you know, an hour before they started tapping your account. And so, that's kind of like, dude, whatever startups are doing, there is black hat startups that are full of absolute geniuses. It's awesome. T- I mean, not awesome, but it's <laughs> it's very interesting to watch. I mm. thought that was really clever.
1: Mm.
0: That's a clever one for sure. Uh, talk about these deepfakes, Jack. What's that all about?
1: Well, no, I said that more as a joke, but you anticipate that to start happening if you know strong customer authentication is using you know biometrics. Then obviously the next step is to fake the liveness test, right? So if you use kind of like these KYC vendors like you know um, on or something, right? They take the front and back of your ID. Uh when they take the front of your ID, they pull your face uh from the ID and then they they'll take a liveness test of your actual face. They'll try to match your face against the ID to make sure that it's actually you on the ID versus you that is the liveness test. So right. it's a liveness
2: selfie, not just like a selfie, but like a liveness selfie, right? Right. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They're yeah. actually looking at the full video of when you're taking the picture. Correct. Okay. Correct.
1: Right. And obviously, you know, deepfakes, you can basically, you know, throw anyone's face over anyone's face to uh, make it look like it is you. So uh, I would assume that the next step for hackers would be to use deepfakes against these kind of KYC vendors and see if they're able to detect it.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, Apple, I was just trying to find this article. Let me try and find it. Apple, China cancel face ID. They had to switch off face ID specifically um in china because they had to go back to touch id which was based on the fingerprint or whatever i don't know if this is a rumor but the video is incredible they make this like porcelain model that is robotic basically and it just walks through face id really easily
1: yeah yeah and and face id is used so prevalently in china right and due to that kind of uh dystopian uh (laughs) that camera that's following you around all day (laughs) yeah
0: Um, I think device-based payments gets us a little bit closer to these tech-based payment companies like Apple and and Google owning identity. Uh, What is the link between payments and identity in your view?
2: That's a load of question. Well, I mean, I think generally it tells a story, habits, it's unique. The, the amount of permutations that any one person can go through just from spending and spending habits and spending behaviors is, you know, ridiculously difficult to make exactly the same with someone else, especially when, you know, what you spend your money on is indicative of what your interests or tastes are as a person, which is some sort of unique profiling. Like, you know, it's a unique way to profile people. What's interesting with like the Apple card, for example, I don't know if anyone saw it how it was like, oh, this card, it's like, you can't put it in denim jeans and you can't put it on leather wallets. It's like, what the fuck were they thinking? But the thing is, it, sorry for swearing again, by the way, I think Tommy just gave me the look and I was like, oh man, I'm going to get roasted <laughs> many, after too this. Many, too many fucks. Sorry. Forgiven. I just, this is the most fucks I've given here for ages. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, anyway. So, the Apple card, to construct your identity, it morphs, basically. Its color palette morphs based on a gelling, like a meshing of your spending behavior. So, if every restaurant is, you know, a red knife and fork icon, and then every gas station is a green gas pump or whatever, you're going to have a greeny red composition. No way.
1: Yep. I didn't know that was a feature. Yeah. Well, not on the physical card. And And on the the physical card. card. Oh, really?
2: Yeah. What? Really? I thought it was bullshit. And I asked my buddy at Apple and he was like, yes. And I was like, "What?" he must, I wasn't sure if he was just thinking I'm a sucker, but I was pretty sure. And it made sense to me that that's why this magical card that doesn't work in jeans and leather wallets had something screwed up about it. But this motion-based consistent story of who somebody is, that continuity is how like identity forms and so i think a lot of teams are working on things like motion-based identity and you know how you move your phone around is going to just keep you yeah. know
1: randomizing shit. it's i mean the, the, the concept of the phone itself is already very powerful against your identity right so when you talk about consumer behavior or spending behavior or anything you do on your phone right screen timer everyone on average five hours a day let's say right you know, even for M-Pesa like 25 years ago with mobile payments, is that's probably the original kind of, um, uh, you were talking about WeChat, right? I was say yeah. M-Pesa probably was the original, right? And 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 then WeChat, uh, and now like all these kind of closed-loop ecosystems where you can buy stuff on Amazon, or if you're in Korea or Japan, you would use Line and Kakao, and, you know, and yeah. so as far as, you know, identity, and this gets a little philosophical, but in a way it is what you do, right? So if your uh, spending behavior is... As such, that's cool that Apple does that with a physical card that actually morphs. Um, but you know, I I think that's the same with us, right? When we do transaction monitoring at Wire, when we can see if you're kind of spinning out of certain habit that we would prevent against a certain transaction. It's
2: how we, yeah, Yeah. like, you know, we protect customers that way. If it's like, anomalies in their behavior it's like you sent 20 bucks to your grandma or, or like don't even know but like let's say compliance is like oh your average transaction size is 20 bucks and then sure enough someone comes along pretending to be you on a chat service and they're saying i need to withdraw a hundred thousand dollars and da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. like a lot of it a lot of the questions up front with compliance shit like i mean we grinded it out we're not lawyers, we're not anything, we just had to bite the bullet and do all this shit and figure it out over the past five years and I think one of the things that gets misinterpreted is like a lot of the shit up front when they're like, you know, how much are you going to spend and, you know, what's this and what's that, like all these questions seem really probing but they're actually usually to be like, yo, there are really bad people out there that have got every chance in the world. To tax whatever you have in your account, this helps us actually, you know, prevent you from shit like that.
0: Yeah. One key feature of Apple Pay is when you submit a transaction, Apple actually gets a bunch of device use patterns along with that transaction. Percent of time the device is in motion, number of calls that week, like all of that metadata. Mm. Yeah. So they're they're definitely on to something there.
2: Yeah. I tell you I tell you who is a who is really in the firing line with all of this that hasn't really been talked about much. Dude, Ethereum. Apple Pay is pretty much the perfect example of off-chain scaling. It's a transaction between a user, a merchant, a payment processor, a digital wallet, which is Apple or Google wallet, and then a payment partner, which might be like Square's merchants under the Square brand. They all construct, as you're doing it, which is, you know, real time, they're all constructing this cryptographic proof where my user might not know who Square is and Square might have no idea who, you know, some merchant that is processing on the other side of the world is, but this cryptographic signature, the way it's constructed and even the way that they articulate it on the website when they construct. It's like got these layers and it's basically everyone unpacking this little package and getting their part of the They all use their private key on each iteration to decrypt
0: it and it eventually hits Apple.
2: Yep. And that's the way that Apple can satisfy all this stuff without having to be the trusted middleman where it all goes to them and they say, what's up? They're really doing it in a way where it's fit. I mean, look, they're the biggest company in the world. They could fuck everyone over if they wanted, but they're playing... I would say pretty privacy first, pretty fair game, all things considered. So
1: and they're gonna get the list of for their zero knowledge kind of privacy token encryption thing, right? Dude, what, Just like Zcash.
2: Well <laughs> But that like that that is the way that you do it, which is what they're doing. They're setting up all the chess pieces so that by the time it's ready to go. Oh cool. Yeah, okay, cool. Maybe we'll let people withdraw outside of their Apple Wallet to a crypto kit standard that's natively baked into our phone. Yeah, sure. What chance does a government have against that? Versus Libra, which was a fantastic initiative from the opposing side, which is the software vendors. So you look at Libra is a consortium of everyone that is not a hardware provider. The only hardware providers on there are custody solutions in the crypto space. WorldPay, Spotify, Stripe. The reason why is because I think we could all fairly say that everyone, the world is a much more privacy first world now. Like it's not everyone just like, you know, Facebook this, everyone's much more conscious of their data and whether they actually give a shit or it's just perceived from big corporate companies to prioritize that, that's the narrative now. And so the only way that people can identify someone behind the computer, if you're not a hardware provider, is to just fire hose your computer with all these different identifiers, like, oh, same browser, same screen resolution, same apps installed, da-da-da-da-da, and they construct this sort of picture that says, I'm not 100% certain, but 99.99999% sure that that is the same person behind the screen. And then Apple and Google and Amazon and all the hardware providers are going to be like, whatever, we know exactly where he's been. It's the same person, same eyeball, same thumbprint. If that's not him, I resign. Like, so that is not only strategically when you look at like the way that that's executed from like a big corporate company trying to put their foot down in the blockchain space, but also just like you're batting for the wrong team in that regard. You are. they are just going, there's like a war that is about to break out and they are going to get decimated.
1: Not in a rude way. I'm a
2: really big supporter of it. but
1: So, you think the hardware guys
2: will win? Hardware guys are going to absolutely clean and, up.
0: And is this a clear strategy that they've laid out or are you, you kind of speculating
2: here? No. I mean, if you look at all the path forward over the past couple of years, it's all just breadcrumbing all the way up. Look at identity identity is going to be a huge component because it's so fundamental to transferring value and payments all this shit when it comes to SCA strong customer authentication we're authenticating like is that the customer behind the behind the device and what's apple and everyone bringing out now more devices apple tv would you want to sync that with your icloud you're tying together all these essentially cryptographic keys that are representations of some of you or you entirely. So, your router at home, your TV, they're bringing out Apple tiles now, which are going to be the things like, you know, for useless people, like I lose shit all the time. It's one of those things you put in your wallet and you can always find it.
0: Really interesting. How does this tie into- (laughs)
1: No yeah, I
0: have my thinking face on. Yeah, yeah. I, I, same. I was just
1: really, really? Absor-
0: absorbing all that. No, you spoke really well, Mike. I appreciate First that. First time ever. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk about our new product for a second. Uh so we we are launching <laughs> We're launching an Apple Pay uh, widget, right? It'll also yeah. have Google Pay and, I guess, MasterPass uh, as a payment yes. method. And then we're going to add different device-based payment methods mm-hmm. uh, to this widget going forward, like WeChat Pay. And uh, I think there's an equivalent in Australia. Uh, I think you laid it out really well why uh, this lines strategically with the rest of, you know, big tech and where payments are headed Talk a little bit more about the new product and exactly why why you think it's a good fit for crypto.
2: Well, I mean, I feel bad shilling, me. that's uh, look it's it's all correlated. That's why you know we as a company made a bet in the way that we did. We said we're going to after to eat glass for a lot of you know twenty nineteen, which was we we're going to have a lot of struggles, have a lot of ups, have a lot of downs, but you know effectively we want to be pushing the agenda in the right way. Like we want device-based payments. And I mean, these are conversations we've had internally where it's like, why would we want Apple and Google Pay? What if someone's not compatible? Someone's not compatible, dude, get the fuck out of the way then. You don't want to hold Bitcoin if you, you can't even have, if you don't have a smartphone yet, like in this sort of, in this component, like where the industry is now, like smartphone penetration rate in the developing countries is really really aggressive, and so if somebody is not enabled with that, I think it's almost like a responsibility not to let them. I mean, there's obviously two sides to the discussion, but you know, I don't know how you go, how do you guys secure your account? You don't do a PIN, do you? Oh, which account are you talking about? Like any crypto account? Like any crypto account? No. It, ah. it, Google Authenticator or yeah, like of course SMS link. Hell no, yeah, not yeah. a PIN. Google, go, Google Auth, yeah, yeah. So, Louis got SimSwap the other day. Mm-hmm. That's all derived from, you know, these situations that come up that can be avoidable. So, as a company, we want to be pushing people. Sure, not everyone, the penetration rate's not there, but it will be there. And that's the best, like, the best agenda we can push if we know... If we get to see a lot of things in the space. Yeah.
0: How's this uh, gonna fit into the crypto experience though? Are people gonna be busting out their their phones to confirm payments now when they're initiating transactions?
1: Wallet link. I Wall-a-link. hope so, yeah, well, I mean- Wallet yeah. connect, sorry. Is wallet
2: link the Coinbase one? Yeah. <laughs> this guy, no, I think, I don't know. I haven't looked. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, that habit is quite quite understood for crypto people, right? 2 factors a thing now because of crypto, Hmm. like in a sense. People have something to lose that they can't get back, um, which is a new sort of new ground for... It's interesting you mentioned that.
0: People are busting out their phones all the time for Google Auth. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I mean, like in regards to our product, I I think of it as a balance between kind of going two steps out versus working on the business here and now, right? So, you know, as far as the infrastructure you know we made a lot of money just doing payouts right we helped like more than 20 financial institutions to complete fx payouts around the world right and in 2018 we made a lot of money like just doing otc trading we traded with over 150 counterparties uh, at a point i think it was like maybe february january 2018 or something like that uh, right yeah, and I that that was you know for building a business really uh, good for wire right uh, and then a large part of 2019 you know, is us kind of building this fiat R ramp for during a bear market. You know, for 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 industry that is in a bear market, and, and you know, it's, it's just like 2015 when you know blockchain not Bitcoin years, right? And we built a Bitcoin wallet that year. Uh, you're you, you cannot control your volume under you know these kind of macroeconomics of a bear and bull run, right? But I, I think the two steps out is you know kind of us seeing the ready on the wall, uh, seeing those breadcrumbs. Knowing kind of where the payment industry is going and saying, okay, we're going to, you know, kind of be in this position.
2: Yeah. And I mean, that's our bet. Like, Tommy, you've even since you guys have been here in like less than 18 months, you've seen so much evolution, like riding the shit fight at, at like every day. It's, we've never really doubled down as a company. That's one thing we've always been pretty good at is like- having a concentrated narrative that we're sort of trying to push or a hypothesis that we're trying to test, but we've never wanted to double down on anything because we've never felt that it's worth painting ourselves into a corner until last year, where we just got a bucket of Dulux paint. Do you guys have Dulux here in America? Okay, you do now. Uh, It's the, you know, paint, anyway. Yeah, I was was born in Asia, I I know Dulux. My man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, but like, Like, I mean, we're productizing our battle scars, right? We've been in this space for six years, two bull runs, two bear markets. If this is a half educated guess of what we think can add value to growing the pie, period. And if we're wrong, we're only going to be wrong from someone proving us wrong, which means the net outcome is the pie grows whether we like it or not. Whether we're the ones that are pushing it or we're the ones that are pushing the conversation, but we're Mm. wrong and someone else becomes right, I think it's a like this is the like straight up this is the turning point in history like changing of the guard I feel so like really lucky to be at this place this time this seat like getting to like
1: really drop the ball for the rest of
2: humanity <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah no I mean especially now that we kind of shipped the product you know and you see how it works right it is a really awesome payment experience literally within 30 seconds I mean in the start of the year we had an internal SLA for zero to crypto kitties in 20 seconds right and there's a lot to unpack in that sentence right because it's not just zero to cryptos zero to crypto kitties so you got meta transactions uh, in there right and, and your transfer API is able to go from USD to eth but also interact with the smart contract to be able to buy an nft like like crypto kitties. Uh, and to do that all under 20 seconds now, literally, it's like, whoa. I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah. New user coming to the ecosystem, no need to enter in KYC, anything like that. We well, get that
1: as the KYC is in the back end. And we're yeah. yeah. We, from, as a response
0: from <laughs> Apple. Right. But it's just mm. one, one frame.
1: Right. And you're leveraging, you know, you're standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Because, you know, as we're talking about SCA being done by... Uh, either on a regulatory standpoint from psd 2 that enforces it to make every merchant uh, to comply with SEA, or from Apple Pay standpoint where uh, they've kind of created their own standalone product that you know still respects SCA, mm. right? that, I mean, they've done so much of the hard yard in like, authenticating that user, Right. and so on the back end, they are able to pass you most of the KYC you need as a money transmitter.
2: Yeah. It just depends how far you want to go. But.
0: Incredible. Mike, you were touching on this uh, for a second. Basically, if if we're right and we're pushing the industry forward, there could be different companies that come uh, and leverage the same technology and you know basically pioneer the space uh, even beyond uh, what we could do. When you think of those companies, are you are you talking about like stablecoin uh, companies or what? What do those companies look like right now that are on the next iteration of payments?
2: Uh. For me personally, like seeing people that are onto it in this space, the biggest like alarm bell for me is when people are focused on adding value. They're not focused on a feature. They're not focused on a benefit, nothing. It is just, there is a material problem that I'm trying to solve. So, I mean, like DeFi, DeFi is really powerful. And a lot of people sort of think, eh, it's so, so like, I mean, there's seven clicks and I've, can do it with, like, Robin Hood in, like, four clicks. Like, is it really worth – bruh, there is, like, half the planet that would kill to have their money be worth the same amount at the end of the year, like, or, you know, 365 days later. And I think people that get rewarded a lot are people that do the unsexy stuff. Like, think about Bitpacer in Africa. Man, those guys – like, Elizabeth – is she's a CEO there and she has, in my opinion, executed to a T. No one wants to go to that market because it requires a lot of local expertise. She knows that market back to front and now they run and own that market and have such a powerful position. Like who's going to get more value out of something like this in the future? Is it people in Africa that have never had access to financial products and services? Or is it, you know, people sitting up here, at 1550 Bryant Street, bitching and moaning because the color palette's off and there's, you know, a misalignment in the CSS? I mean, that's a blank canvas to start
1: with. Yeah. No, I mean, stable coins is definitely very interesting to help, you know, developing world uh, to protect from hyperinflation. But, you know, there's an amalgamation of interests, right? So we just talked about payments in and of itself of like, hardware versus software right well payments is really just running on new rails or old rails that uh, reflect the credit or banking system right so Mm -hmm. so you're still gonna so where where do banks play in this right so so it's not just hardware versus software it's you know old versus new versus newer and you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen, right? But I mean, I'm assuming that banks are still going to be around because institutions will be around and governments won't just topple and, mm. you know, we're not going to be in Satoshi's uh, citadels. But, you know, like projecting out in the future is really hard to say. Um, my guess would be that, you know, payments is and banking will start incorporating elements of blockchain. Banks themselves will issue stable coins, which has already started central banks will start issuing stable coins, which they already started, uh, and then how that ties into payment systems, whether for hardware or software, you know, blockchain or crypto would definitely kind of start seeping into traditional finance or traditional payments and banking.
2: Or do they enable it and that means that the value starts seeping out? Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's one way street ultimately. It's just many rolls together, I guess. Yeah.
0: Incredible. Well, I want to thank you guys for your time. We're at the top of the hour and, you know, I think we had a really good podcast and disseminate a lot of awesome information to the audience. Nice. So thanks for hopping on guys. Thanks. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. Check out the show notes included in your podcast and remember to subscribe to get to the latest episodes. If you have any questions or comments, reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or the Wired blog, whatever works for you. If you like this episode, share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks again for listening.